Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Well, hey, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. Feels good to finally say 6. We've been saying Matthew chapter 5 for so long now. We are in Matthew chapter 6, continuing on the Sermon on the Mount. It will be for quite a while, but we just finished chapter 5, which we, we, we want to always read what's right in front of us in context of what was just looked at. And so let's put chapter 6 in the context of chapter 5. Chapter 5, if you'll remember, has a lot to do with relational topics, how we relate with one another. Talks about hate and murder, lust and adultery, marriage, making oaths to one another, being honest with one another, retaliation when we're wronged. These are relational topics with our neighbors. Chapter 6 now, as we started, at least the first 18 verses of chapter 6, are largely about religious topics. Not relational, but religious topics. Financial giving, prayer, fasting. We'll be looking at these religious topics. So if chapter 5 is horizontal in nature, this is largely vertical in nature. What we do as direct worship to God. And even though today's passage is going to be about giving to other people, ultimately it's worship to God. And so through these next few weeks in chapter 6, we need to get, if we get anything clear from it, we need to get this one point clear that Jesus is just hammering home. You'll notice. When it comes to religious activity, we have to do it for the right person. When you pray, do it for the right person. When you fast, do it for the right person. Today when we look at giving, we ought to do it for the right person. Notice here, let me just do big picture of chapter 6, and then we're going to really zoom in on verses 1 through 4. But first, let's kind of get the context of chapter 6, okay? Hopefully you have your Bibles open. You can kind of jump around with me as we look at different passages. But Jesus says repeatedly, do not do these religious things, giving, prayer, fasting. Do not do them to gain attention from others. Look at verse 2 with me. When you give to the needy, do not sound a trumpet before you. It says, don't do it for other people to look. Then drop down to verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Verse 16, drop down even more. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces. Why? So that their fasting may be seen by others. Jesus says emphatically and repeatedly, don't do these things for them, for others. And really the, the leading verse, the, the main verse, the, the header over all these subpoints is verse 1. He leads with the main point. 
Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And let us just really let the weight of that first word sit on us for a minute. Beware. Beware. Think think about that. If you do a survey of this word throughout the Gospel of Matthew, you'll find this word used when Jesus says, Beware of false teachers who are in sheep's clothing. That's in Matthew 7. He says, Beware of those who are going to persecute you physically. Matthew 10. Beware of the theology of the Pharisees. Matthew 16. So just get this picture. Beware of false teachers. Beware of people who want to kill you. Beware of damning theology, that of the Pharisees. And then here he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before people so that you'll be seen by them. Just, I think that just elevates this warning to a class that we wouldn't normally expect it to be in, doesn't it? Beware of doing spiritual disciplines so that other people see. We might not think that that's all that big of a deal. Can't hurt that bad. I just like the attention. But what this shows us when we see this in light of all the other uses of the word beware, we see that this spiritual pride is just as dangerous to your soul as false teachers are or the theology of the Pharisees. This is deadly, deadly to spiritual health. Beware of it. He says, don't do these things to gain attention from other people, but instead, do these things in secret so that only God will see them. You see this multiple times. Again, let's walk through the big picture here. Verse 4 says, your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Topic of prayer, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Verse 18, when you're fasting, you're, you may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Don't do it for others. Do it that God may see in secret. Now, two quick observations on what we see here repeated Firstly, God sees your actions. What a scary thing that is. I chuckle about it, but I, but I almost should cower at it. God sees your actions. Hebrews 4.13, in fact, says that you all are naked and exposed before Him. That he not only sees your actions, but even the intent of your heart. God sees it all. There's no question that he sees. The question is, if you want other people to be in the cheering section too. He sees though. Everything we do is in the sight of God. I was thinking about that this week. And what that should mean for us. Dwell on this for a minute with me. God sees everything. He doesn't miss a second of the real of your life. 
think if we realized his inescapable sight. And we couple that with a strong fear of the Lord. And both of those things, we'd live much holier lives, wouldn't we? If we realized his inescapable sight and we had a great fear of the Lord, we would live much holier lives. But one or the other or both are oftentimes in the distant parts of our mind. Either we don't fear him all that much, is a God of grace. Or we like to push it away from our brains that he sees right now what I'm doing. First observation is God sees everything. Second observation is that as he sees, he rewards us. If, right, it's contingent, it's conditional, he rewards us if we're content with him alone seeing, not needing the applause of other people. If that be the case, then we get rewarded from our Father in heaven. Now, it's really easy for, especially prosperity preachers, you know where they run with that, right? You're going to get a mansion. Sow a seed. Press down, shaking together. You know what I'm talking about. What is this reward that God gives us? You see it there in verse 4. Your giving may be in secret. Jump back real quick. Verse 4, previous verse. Your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What is this reward? For our holiness in secret. Well, it's not a promise of riches, of wealth. God does bless this way at times. I think sometimes to strongly counteract the prosperity preachers, we act like God never does that. But God does do that at times. He does bless in material ways in this life. But that's not what Jesus has in mind here. Let's not fool ourselves. Here, when Jesus talks about God rewarding us, we have to read it in context of Sermon on the Mount as a whole, and he is oftentimes talking about heavenly rewards. God rewards us in heavenly ways. Jump back to Matthew 5, verse 12. It says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great. When? In heaven. Not from heaven down right now, in heaven, later. And in fact, if we actually go later in the Sermon on the Mount, you go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus is clear that treasures in heaven far outweigh the treasures in this life. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up these treasures that are in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. So let's read Matthew 5.12 and Matthew 6.19 about these heavenly rewards. Now into Matthew 6, and he says, your father's going to reward you. He's not talking about earthly rewards that are going to rust and die away one day. Talking about heavenly rewards, chiefly that we get to spend eternity with our Savior. What a reward that is. <clears throat> so, religious topic or religious activity should be done 
not for other people to see, but for God alone to see. Specifically, let's look at our financial giving generosity. That's going to be verses 2 through 4. Notice how Jesus starts his teaching on financial giving. See this at the very beginning of verse 2? When you give to the needy. Pause. There's enough there for a sermon. When you give to the needy. Not if you give, when you give. You see, Jesus assumes, doesn't he? And in fact, expects his listeners to be at a certain level of spiritual maturity. And I think we can really take a lot away from this. I think right now, just when it comes to Sunday morning preaching, Bible study, discipleship in the church, we can learn from this one clause. Jesus expecting his listeners to be at a certain level of maturity that they are giving. He didn't say, so let me tell you what giving is, why we should do it. No, that's already been assumed. It's, those building blocks have already been laid. Now he's building on top of them and saying, knowing that you are to give, Knowing what giving is, now let's talk about how we should be doing it better. He assumes some, something from his listeners. And I think that's true for Christian discipleship as well. We preach salvation to the unsaved. Amen. We should never stop doing that. But it can't only be that, can it? Every sermon shouldn't be an evangelistic sermon. For the sinner who needs to step into relationship with God. It certainly should include that. But we need to also assume that the saints need to be growing. We must be growing. Hebrews 5 talks about this. <clears throat> it says, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment. Who've been trained by constant practice of distinguishing good from evil. They've been growing, right? Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Now, let's preach Christ. Let's preach salvation. But let's also preach for maturity of the saints. So, when it comes to giving, going back to Matthew 6, 2. When it comes to giving, this is an assumed practice of maturity. Let that just sit on us. Giving is an assumed practice for those who claim to be mature Christians. Not if you give. No, Jesus Assume something of his disciples when you're giving. So many of us have so many excuses. We all do, right? And we love to lean on these excuses. We may say, I'm just too busy to, to stop and help that person on the street. I'm always on the move. I live a busy life. Help that person right there. 
praise God that Jesus didn't live by that model. We can say, well, when it comes to giving to the church, tithe is an Old Testament law. Yeah, but generosity isn't. In fact, 1 John 2.15 even says that if we don't give of our worldly goods, how could the Father's love be in us? It says, yeah, but it's a bad economy. It's a bad time now. Give to the poor. I am the poor. Maybe you've said that. <clears throat> well, hate to burst your bubble, so were also the women with two mites and the woman with the alabaster jar. We love to lean on these excuses, but what we find is that none actually hold up. This is a sign of Christian maturity. Hard stop. When you give, <clears throat> when you give. And th in this passage, specifically, it's addressing how we give to those who are in need or who are needy. So that would be giving aside from giving to the church. That's a whole other topic. This would be giving to somebody on the street that needs help or somebody that we know in our, our friend group. Jesus is addressing that right now. And you see, in that situation, generosity to those who are in need should be characteristic of us. It should be a part of our regular routine. <clears throat> it should be just engraved into our DNA to hear a need and say, how can I help? No, Siri, not right now. <laughs> Bear with me. A and really, if you think about it, this is how we display the gospel, isn't it? Consider 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the model of the gospel, that we have a rich God who has abundant blessing and seeing us in our poverty step down into our poverty with us to give us the riches of heaven that we might enjoy them with him. And so as we give to those in need, we display the glorious truth that we live by that we might be with him forever. When we see somebody in need and say, how can I help you? I'm a Christian. In fact, my salvation hangs on the fact of a rich God, loving and impoverished Isaac. How can I help? You know, and you might say, well, it's, I'm uncomfortable with giving money. I don't know what they're going to do with it, right? That's fair. It's not an outlandish concern. I, I share that concern sometimes. If that's a concern you have, well, consider leaving water or granola bars in your back seat. Seriously, to give to those who are in need. How, how, just how strange would it be to be an ambassador of the richest and most generous being and yet to be stingy and yet claim to be a representative of him? It, it's nonsensical to be an ambassador of God and unwilling to help the lowly. <clears throat> And so, in our concern about, do I give the right person? How do I give? When should I give? How often should I give? 
So many questions. Let me say this about this first clause that when you give to the needy. If you're going to err with your finances and giving, err on the side of giving it, not withholding it. Now, why would I say that? Why would I say that? Because it's tricky to always get right when you should give it, how much you should give, what you should give, who you should give it to. These things have a lot of nuance and a whole lot of gray area, don't they? It's completely black and white, though, to see that we should give. That much is clear. It's completely reasonable to expect that you will one day give to the wrong person. Right, someone who has scammed you, they don't really need help. It's completely reasonable to expect that you will give the wrong thing at times. You give money when really you should have given food to that person. These things are not always clear and they are easy to get wrong. But hear me, that we should give regularly to help the person in general there's nothing uncertain about that. So, if you're going to err on financial giving, err on generosity, not on stinginess. Err on giving, not on withholding. Always strive to show the gospel of a generous God who gives to an impoverished people who are in need. This much we can see clearly in the text. So, after laying this foundation, that we should give. Not if you should give, but when you should give. Jesus begins to talk about how we should give. He mentions two paths that you could take with your money. The path that Jesus discourages is giving so that other people can see you do it. The path that Jesus encourages would be to hide your giving Give discreetly, give secretly, but give. I, uh, I really like hiking. I haven't been able to do it the last two years or so, but especially when we lived in Springfield, I would often go out and spend a weekend with the guys, and we'd go down to Arkansas. It's right there uh, um, over the border for, from Springfield. And, and so there's a lot of great trails in Arkansas. We'd go up to Colorado and hike some. I just really like um, hammock camping and, and hiking when I can. Uh, Whenever I was first getting into hiking and camping and all that stuff, you really have to learn a lot about, firstly, trails are numbered based on their intensity level. I don't know if you knew this, but like a one would be like a leisurely stroll, right? Just a, a you could bring just like a day pack and, you know, it's got a little bit of water in it, granola bar, and you can just, you can get a camera and go out and enjoy the sights. That's like a level one. And then two would get a little bit more, three more. And then whenever you get to four, like, okay, that's a multi-day trail that requires some kind of experience before you take that on, a level four. Well, whenever I was first starting off, I did not know. So you look up trails in Arkansas, and you find, and it's like all of them are numbered. And I'm like, those numbers are random? Okay. And I just didn't even pay attention to how they were numbered, so I picked a four. And, um, and so we went... And I remember what it was, like 28 miles, something like that, maybe, maybe over a 30-mile hike, and um, expected to be done in two and a half days, something like that, um, with setting up camp and all that. I remember going with my buddies from Evangel, and we went, and 
by, by the end of it, we're just trying to make it back to the, the car, and we are cramping up in every part of our body, like, just, it's horrible, we didn't bring enough water, or iodine tablets, anyway, um, by, by the end of it, the last couple miles, my friend was just shucking off supplies, like, he just left his new sleeping bag, and I said, aren't you going to bring that? He's like, I can't carry it, <laughs> and, and he was just dropping supplies, his pots and pans, and he would dr- leave his sleeping bag for some other person to pick up another time, because he was just worn out, and he couldn't take the rigor, and uh, he didn't come with us in future hikes, but <laughs> the ones would have been much better suited for him, the leisurely strolls with the day pack. But that comes to mind for me when, when we look at the two paths that Jesus presents us with on giving. You see, the first path, the path of seeking people's praise, that's a level one. It's easy to do, you know, give for somebody else to see it. Oh, that's impressive. It's easy to do that, and, and in fact, it, it feels good to do it. It doesn't hurt at all. You enjoy it. It's quick gratification, but the reward is short-lived and easily forgotten. You see, the second path that Jesus encourages, the path of secrecy, that's that's a level four. It, It would be challenging, and it is challenging, to give and not be applauded for it, to do and not be recognized. This is challenging. It goes against our nature, self-preservation. We, it's really less appealing, isn't it, to give and not be seen? It's a lifetime climb of discomfort. And yet, the summit, the reward, is unmatched. Every day, we stand at the fork in the road between these two decisions. The easy path of being recognized, the difficult path of giving in secrecy. And it comes down to what reward do you want to get from your giving? Do you want the easy, quick gratification? Or do you want the eternal reward that far outweighs anything else that this path could give you? Jesus urges you to choose the trail of secrecy. He says in verse 2, Do not give financially so to be seen by other people. Let me just read it in its entirety. Thus, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet. He says, don't go down that trail. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they'll be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received the reward. And he's saying it's minimal. It's other people saw them and people forgot. That's all they're going to get. You know, there are so many ways that we can be tempted to give for people to see us, isn't there? There's so many, there's endless ways that we can be tempted to give for other people's recognition. I mean, the classic would be giving in church and we want to give to impress the person sitting next to us at the plates pass, right? I give with my check face up, no envelope. But that's what we're talking about, so that that person saw what I, hopefully they glanced at it. If not, I got next week. That's the classic, but, or maybe you just give on the streets, and you're giving to get a thank you, because that thank you feels good from the person that you're giving to. How about this one? 
Maybe you haven't thought about this one. You give to a church or you give to a nonprofit in general and you're giving so that the people at the IRS will give you a good tax deduction by the end of the year. That's giving for other people. That's giving motivated by other people seeing and giving me a benefit. Hear me, you've gotten your reward. That's the extent of it. In all of these situations, our motive must be singularly focused. That God said and God sees. That's all I need. Our motto must not be give to get. Rather, give because I got. He has saved me. He has pardoned me. He has loved me. And so if I get nothing else from this giving right now, may it at least be worship to him. See, God calls us to live committed to him regardless of other people. Do you know that? God has called you. Emmanuel, God has called you to live committed to him regardless of other people. And so some places, in some ways, that means that we can't be shy or hide what we're doing even though we know it's going to make a lot of people really angry, upset the world, get a lot of lashback. We have to be resolved to do what is right regardless of any lashback. Here, though, it means being anonymous and doing what people would applaud you for had they seen it. See the two differences and, and, and what the commonality is there? What's the common denominator of not hiding what people will hate, hiding what they would love. It's a contentment with God's approval alone. I'm content with God's approval alone. I don't care if they see what I do and hate it or don't see what I do, though they would love it. God sees. Period. Content with God's approval alone, not needing other people's praise or a pat on the back. He makes it clear that if we need approval from other people, we forfeit that approval from God. What a shame it would be to trade God's favor just to impress someone who will forget tomorrow what you did. And yet we choose that all the time, don't we? God's eternal favor swapped in for somebody else to see me. Far less important than God who's going to forget it tomorrow. It's like Esau trading his birthright for soup for today. And yet we do it all the time. This is the path Jesus discourages. He's in, instead, choose the path of giving secretly. Give financially only to be seen by God. Verses 3 and 4. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This whole don't let your, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, translation would be, 
go to absurd lengths to keep this private. To find satisfaction that one set of eyes watches you. God's alone. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard these names before? If you have, you can shoot your, shoot your hand up. Thomas Lye, John Oldfield, John Whitlock. One hand. That's good. These three names are pastors from hundreds of years ago, hundreds of years ago, who faithfully served their small town congregations, faithfully, until they died, and have largely been forgotten. But they loved Jesus. They loved their churches, small churches, faithfully. I think we just all have to ask, our question, or ask ourselves this question. You have to ask yourself this question. Are you content going to the grave with only God knowing all the good that you've done? That's to say, I don't need fame or fortune. I don't need stature or success. Neither praise nor popularity. I need Jesus and His affirmation. I need His approval. I need His acceptance. Right, as the song goes, you can have all the world. Give me Jesus. That's the anthem of this passage. So, to summarize this passage, wrapping it up. Firstly, don't miss this point that mature Christians incorporate generous giving into their household budget. That's true. Mature Christians, they do and they will incorporate generous giving into their household budget. It's not if we give, it's when we give. And I'm not saying this because God needs you to give. <laughs> he doesn't. He's doing just fine. I'm saying this because you need you to give. Your soul needs you to give. You see, it's toxic to your soul if you harbor just for selfish gain. But as we learn to give freely, it's a blessing that flourishes our soul. You need you to give. Isaac needs Isaac to give. But really the heart of this passage is that God's approval is all we need. This takes us back to the gospel. That's where we're going to end. You see, your own life and all that you do, even if it's filled with a lot of good things, will not win God's acceptance or approval. It won't. It doesn't matter what you give, how much you give, what you do for the church, or how often you do it. You will not win God's approval or acceptance through that. Through faith in Jesus alone, through His righteousness clothing you, through His goodness given to you, only through that. God will fully accept you and be pleased with you. Here's my question. Is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? Are you content with that? Are you content with only having God's approval if that's all you get? My prayer is that 
that is enough for you, even if it's all you have. Because it's more than enough. More than enough. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 